another special edition of MLEX's podcast. My name is Matthew Newman, MLEX's Global Chief Correspondent. Today we're talking about the EU's Artificial Intelligence Act. Proposed by the European Commission in 2021, the AI Act is a landmark in the global regulation of artificial intelligence. It's designed to set the standards for AI development and use within the EU. At its heart, it seeks to navigate the relationships between technology, ethics, and governance. With the AI Act, EU lawmakers aim to achieve three primary goals. First, it seeks to ensure the responsible and ethical use of AI, safeguarding fundamental rights such as privacy and non-discrimination. Second, it aims to promote innovation and competitiveness by establishing clear rules for AI developers and users. Lastly, it seeks to build public trust in AI technologies by defining transparent framework for AI development. When approved, the AI Act would require companies to get AI systems certified by national authorities before putting them on the market for use in high-risk scenarios. These include insurance assessments, school admissions, hiring and firing, or systems capable of influencing voters in elections. However, like any pioneering legislation, the AI Act is not without its controversies. Critics argue that the law may stifle innovation and place undue burdens on businesses. Balancing the need for regulation and the desire to foster AI-driven growth is a delicate task, and the EU's approach has sparked intense debates among experts, policymakers, and industry leaders. My colleague, Nicholas Wallace, and I recently discussed the legislation with Eva Maydell, a leading European Parliament member on the AI Act. And we began our conversation by asking about the balance between upholding EU values and promoting innovation. We also asked about the bill's timing and the European Union's role in global governance. I think what's important is to step back and remind uh, the audience why uh, do we have the AI Act uh, from a European perspective. So I'd like to um, see that we as Europeans, along with other international democratic um, nations, are able um, to set the standards of the future of AI uh, governance. Because my worry is that if we do not do that, there will be other global players, uh, such as uh, China, that will surely do that, but they will do it in a very different manner. Having said that, when the AI Act was initially proposed, a lot of the developments that we are witnessing today were not present. So the European Commission has presented the AI Act, and we in the European Parliament have mainly started legislating from the perspective of the Committee of Civil Liberties. Um, So uh, the way the AI Act has been seen uh, over the past couple of years is about uh, having rules around AI that's developed according to our values. Though with the latest developments, I think more people and more different stakeholders have woken up to the fact that It is about AI according to our values, but it's also about being competitive. It's also about being innovative. So for me, it's extremely important that the measures that I and some of my colleagues have pushed very hard within the regulation to promote innovation um, are even maybe a little bit further developed, or at least they are taken as we have proposed in the committee 
uh, on industry um, and uh, innovation. So where we are at the moment, um, we have been seeing a very strong political will over the past couple of months from the parliament, from the council and from the commission to wrap up the work by the end of the year, especially as we have European elections uh, coming up. Um, and also because, uh, after all, we are the first to introduce such comprehensive uh, AI legislation uh, and we would like to see this through. Currently, we are seeing that uh, other uh, global actors are beginning their um, governance measures. And I think it's a good opportunity for us to be collaborating. But having said all that, uh, I have always stood by uh, the notion that we should not be sacrificing quality over speed. And again, as rapporteur from the industry committee, I am especially focused on making sure that the final text is innovation friendly, that it uh, promotes AI development and deployment, and that it keeps Europe globally competitive. So if it would take a little bit longer to uh, sit in the negotiations in order to ensure that, I'm willing to um, to to put effort and time into making sure that we have uh, a bit more of a of a balanced uh, text. Eva Maidel was referring there to talks between the European Parliament and EU governments, known as trilogues in EU jargon. Maidel is a member of Parliament from the Centre-Right European People's Party, or EPP. One of the main sticking points for lawmakers is expected to be over biometric identification and the use of facial recognition software on live CCTV feeds by law enforcement agencies. The proposal put forward by the European Commission banned facial recognition in public spaces. However, the Commission's proposal included exceptions, which would have allowed police to search for missing children or pursue dangerous criminals and terrorists. EU governments agreed on that approach. However, the use of live facial recognition sparked a debate at the European Parliament. The EPP supported exceptions that would allow the technology to find a missing person, prevent a terrorist attack, or locate a crime suspect. But following a tense debate, the EPP amendments were defeated. Today, the Parliament's version of the legislation includes a blanket ban on AI-powered facial recognition in public spaces. Another important debate will be over the regulation of, quote, generative AI systems, such as ChatGPT, which creates content based on existing data. The Parliament's text obliges developers of these systems to disclose detailed summaries of the copyrighted data used for their training. EU governments, on the other hand, didn't include generative AI in their proposal at all. With negotiations set to resume next month, I asked Eva Maidel, how these difficult issues will play out in the talks. You're quite right um, in terms of some of the sticking points that we have witnessed here in the European Parliament negotiations. Uh, they have kind of transferred in the trilogue uh, level. And particularly, uh, currently, what we are seeing, these are points um, related to the remote biometric identification, to prohibited practices, to the way we classify um, AI and also to the scope of high-risk use cases. 
Um, but also, um, perhaps, um, you know, a further discussion will be needed on the way we go about regulating foundational models and generative um, um, AI. Um, when it comes to facial recognition, um, because this was one of the points uh, that ultimately was the main point discussed here in the parliament prior to our position being adopted, in a way, it's um, one of the most political issues right up until the end of the negotiations in the parliament and probably right up until the negotiations um, in, in the trialogues. But for me, it's important to step back and look a little bit at the bigger picture because that's not the only thing that the AI Act is uh, about. You mentioned a couple of other provisions that are important for certain uh, groups um, and stakeholders, but there are many other provisions uh, in the AI Act um, that are uh, important. Of course, privacy and law are central to the debate, uh, but for me personally, it's very important to further discuss uh, what are the next steps and the future for Europe's competitiveness, uh, the way which we'll be dealing with deep fakes. Uh, I think a lot of my uh, colleagues and other politicians across Europe will wake up to the fact of how do we make sure that we are not flooded with deep fakes around elections. And we have, as I said, European elections and other elections uh, coming up, uh, but also all the AI-generated um, disinformation and uh, how can we uh, respond fast, how can we have rapid advancements in generative AI as well is another topic that uh, I think we should be uh, paying uh, close attention. And probably a, a final point on, on this, I think um, the AI Act, uh, again, is a cross-cutting uh, legislation. And this is why I would warn for us to make sure that we can zoom out and look at it as a whole. Because only then we could see, uh, you know, uh, beyond the conversation that's taking place here in Brussels. It would be, for me, it's important. We're, we very often are a little bit too narrow on some of the topics and think this is the topic that's most important for citizens or for industry um, or for society as a whole. Um, it would be important to see this as a very comprehensive legislation and hopefully one that can last, that can uh, stand the test of time as well. Now, the European Union is known as a global rulemaker. The 27-nation bloc's landmark data protection rules, the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, has been a model for some countries that adopted privacy rules. Proponents of the so-called Brussels effect see the AI Act fulfilling the same role. But will this scenario come true? Will the AI Act become a global standard? And is there a risk that Europe is over-regulating and preventing companies from developing AI? The EU is also actively involved with major trading partners in the G7 to help develop guardrails for AI. I asked Ms. Maydell to discuss these global governance plans. Well, I also refer to some of the previous legislation that you mentioned um, as um, it would be good that we do not say that the GDPR, for example, is a golden standard, but it's a global standard. And some do take inspiration from it, but not that many, uh, or perhaps not as many as we thought we would have seen. 
So this is why when we started the work on the Artificial Intelligence Act, for me, it was absolutely crucial to have this international cooperation to try to discuss uh, with um, other colleagues uh, and make sure that we do not isolate ourselves, that we do not make what according to us are the perfect rules, but maybe they're so burdensome or so uninviting for investors that the ones that are here would leave and the ones that potentially can invest here will not prefer Europe as their destination of um, investment and developing uh, their products. So we need to pay attention. And this is why by EU setting the standards, having to see the bigger picture of the act itself, I think we need to see the bigger picture of things and where our global competitors are going. And, um, you know, for me, it's not just the AI Act, it's about the discussions that are happening at the TTC, the Trade and Technology Councils. It's about what the U.S. is doing through the U.S. and uh, White House voluntary commitments. Also, um, at the G7 Hiroshima meeting, there were um, important takeaways and a process uh, was set on a generative AI so it's about the EU being involved, hopefully also leading those discussions. Um, but we also have to be cautious not to just lead on the referee side. So while we lead on the referee side on setting the rules, it will be important for the EU to be looking into those incentives and making sure that some of the European AI companies uh, remain in Europe, that they are given the ability to grow um, and given um, the support. But to sum it up, absolutely, this international cooperation has to be the underlining principle for the AI Act to make uh, any sense uh, whatsoever. So it's more about global rules than just uh, golden rules and us patting ourselves in the back and saying, we did a great job. You're listening to a special edition of MLEX's podcast. We're speaking with Eva Medel, a member of the European Parliament. I'm Matthew Newman. EU governments and the Parliament seem to have quite different ideas about how the AI Act is going to be enforced. But in both cases, it seems to imply that at a national level, you could have a number of regulators working on this. The Parliament's proposal would centralize AI oversight in one agency per member state, while expanding the role of a coordinating AI office, a key change from the text proposed by the European Commission and EU governments. I asked Eva Maydell how these negotiations will play out and whether the EU will have a patchwork of national regulators in the member states or a more centralized approach. Over the past couple of months, and also even now, we are focused a lot on the AI Act. But I have always said that um, in order for us uh, to make a uh, sensible decisions as uh, regulators, as policymakers, decision takers, and also to be able to give the opportunity for companies to operate. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a complex system. It's not just about one law. It's about how the laws make sense. Most importantly, how they're implemented. Um, and um, this is why, uh, in a way, for me personally, right now, it's maybe a little bit too soon to tell what the final enforcement structure will look like. But uh, in the months to come, I think uh, we will be able to learn a bit from how the ongoing DSA uh, enforcement uh, is uh, unfolding, 
Um, but overall, with, with all digital legislation, for me, it's quite clear that it will be a mix probably of uh, member states authorities, but also central coordinating institutions, whether that's here in Brussels or uh, it's a special AI office. Some tasks, um, in a way, I think could be better suited for member states, while others uh, are better suited uh, for uh, Brussels. Speaking of our uh, global uh, competitors and allies, uh, in the US uh, and the UK, they're making way towards a more centralized uh, bodies to deal with uh, DAI. Um, this is also a direction in which the parliament has already pushed. And I think at some point we will probably end up um, there. I just want to remind uh, on one key thing uh, for enforcement uh, that doesn't uh, get talked too much about, and that's uh, benchmarking. The idea of how to ensure that all the indicators and standards that we are asking uh, for companies are actually measured. Um, and uh, two years ago, uh, at this point, I was one of the first ones to call for a EU-wide effort on benchmarking in my initial ITRE report. Um, and uh, we are now working on having that as well in the AI Act. And here again, we can see a similarity um, and um, we could take inspiration from the U.S. National Institute of Standards and Technologies because they have, are doing something um, in that uh, field. Um, so, um, yes, it's not just about the data protection authorities, uh, but it's, um, you know, more about how all these enforcement pieces will fit together. Just like the legislation, how it fits together, the enforcement pieces, how they fit together, uh, because only if all of this makes sense, it can allow the companies uh, to understand the rules and to play by the rules. In this interview with Eva Maydell, we mentioned the Brussels effect and how EU officials are very proud of it. But it has its critics around the world who accuse the EU of over-regulating with the AI Act, particularly given that the new technology is still taking shape. We asked Eva Maydell whether the EU legislation would prevent companies from developing and perhaps chill the market with red tape, and whether she could reassure investors in AI that the legislation won't impede the development of this technology. It's very hard to strike the balance um, because, as I said earlier, the idea of the AI Act um, initially proposed was about making sure that we provide a regulatory framework to have AI develop according to our values, to protect, to protect citizens. Um, and it was much less so about how do we encourage those companies to develop, to grow, to invest here, uh, to create? I believe currently the text has a number of good provisions which explicitly promote innovation uh, in Europe. I'll give you a few examples. Um, in the European Parliament text, uh, we have an explicit exemption uh, for research and open source. I have also pushed a very hard for a new article to be included on regulatory sandboxes, um, which would allow smaller companies to innovate, uh, to bring their AI products to the market uh, uh, faster. 
Um, the way I see it is that uh, sandboxes are the place that allows testing and innovation to, to happen, uh, but also in the same time to provide the guidance to companies. I think this can enable our smaller uh, European uh, players um, and uh, can help uh, the, the whole innovation uh, principle in Europe. We have also to keep in mind, um, the negotiations are, of course, still ongoing, but if we manage to keep the AI Act targeted, if we uh, manage to make sure that it only adheres to true uh, high-risk uh, cases, if it's flexible enough for a future application, I believe we have done a balanced job that can uh, kind of have the stick and the carrot for the companies. Uh, but again, uh, the final version is not there. It would be difficult to make predictions. I, I sound cautious. I hope I don't sound too negative, but I would like to, to, to sound cautious also because it is a moment when we need to still continue voicing our concerns, but also properly have the time to look into the AI Act. A lot of the concerns and the buzz that is out there um, is by um, certain stakeholders or, or, or voices that maybe haven't really went into the details of the AI Act and have not understood that we still haven't finalized it. We're working on it, uh, and hopefully it will come up with a with a balanced um, with a balanced text that that would make sense for for both sides. Those that are worried of how we uh, create AI and those that believe need more support to create uh, and develop AI. Nicholas and I then went on to ask Eva Medel about the European Parliament's version of this legislation and whether it would ensure that there wouldn't be a large burden on small companies and whether different political groups will agree on this issue. Together with our teams, we have worked very hard uh, to make sure um, that um, the burden will be um, not as uh, currently one could perceive. But I think it's important to mention, and, and you, of course, know that, but perhaps for people that are not following closer the negotiations, within the negotiations, uh, we have uh, representatives of all political groups here in the European Parliament. And sometimes the ones that believe we need to have a more balanced approach on uh, to those assessments, uh, we're in minority. Uh, so uh, having in mind that European elections are approaching and other elections uh, here, a little political message, I think we need to think wise that sometimes if uh, someone has a very good uh, vision on how uh, to implement the Green Deal, might not have the same vision on how to regulate AI. So, as you've just heard, the goal is to reach a deal by year's end. But what if talks over the AI Act were to stretch into 2024? European Parliament members will be out campaigning for Parliament elections in June 2024 and won't be able to focus on the negotiations. I asked Maydell about the tight time frame and whether she would prefer quality over speed. I might be able to give you a more accurate answer on that in the next month, month and a half, because the negotiations are ongoing, but we still indeed have to tackle some of the more political topics. We haven't had um, a, a, a discussion on political level on some of the sticking points. Uh, so once we have that um, discussion on political level, we'll be able to tell more whether the negotiations will move as planned 
or they might spill over into um, the, the, the first half of January or so. Uh, but for now, I think it's too early to tell. Uh, I hear there is a little bit of rumors, uh, but I would be very cautious to um, uh, try not to look into that, but more like uh, support the work uh, as it's being planned uh, for, for the time being. That was Eva Maydell, who is a member of the center-right European People's Party and part of the European Parliament's AI Act negotiating team. And that's it for today's podcast. Our producer was James Benicki, and the podcast was recorded here in Brussels by me, Matthew Newman, and my colleague, Nicholas Wallace. Thanks for listening, and be sure to join us again for more interviews in coming weeks. Goodbye for now.